0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
0: The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel.
2: Save our wildlife.
3: And over the course of this program, Our Wild World, I have ranted and railed and discussed for our listeners the urgent need for Americans and the world to make themselves aware of the United States Department of Agriculture's misnamed Wildlife Services Agency and its war on our very own iconic wildlife. Wolves, coyotes, bobcats, and cougars are being slaughtered by the thousands, and the American public is largely unaware of it. Straight from the sources to you, my listeners, we'll understand why this is so critical with my guest today, Brooks Fay, who is a nationally recognized wildlife advocate and film producer. He's also the executive director of Predator Defense. For over 30 years, Brooks has documented and exposed the dangers of wildlife, people, and pets faced from the USDA USDA Wildlife Service's lethal methods for controlling native predator animals. Uh, by using poisons, traps, and snares. Brooks is joined uh, by f- former federal agents in a film that he's recently put out, Exposed, in which he's an insten- excuse me, extensively investigated many lethal predator control programs and documented the atrocities while working with the field of wildlife surpa- services, trappers, and law enforcement agencies. Brooks is also working closely with members of our Congress to effect reform of this outmoded federal program. Predator Defense spearheads legislation, disseminates research findings, monitors government agencies, and when necessary, pursues legal action. Predator Defense serves as a resource for reporters, elected officials, and the public. Efforts to take them into the field, into America's public lands, and to Congress, into court, and to, into courtrooms. Welcome, Brooks.
4: Thank you. Good morning.
3: It's a pleasure to have you here. I've been waiting a long time to have a conversation with uh, a man in your position, uh, similar to speaking with Carter Niemeyer. This is a touchy, controversial issue right now our wildlife services and what's going on. Um, You and I have had some conversations over the past month or so getting ready for this program. So, right now, just to get our audiences all on the same frame of mind, I'm just going to start with some numbers, and this uh, data comes from a letter written by the uh, Society of Mammalogists to Congress to request reform and defunding of wildlife services. So here we go. Here's just some numbers. Using wildlife services' own reported kill data from fiscal years 2000 through 2010, wildlife service agents have killed more than 2 million native wild animals in the United States, In those 11 years, including 915,868 coyotes, 321,051 beavers, 126,257,000 raccoons, 83,606 skunks, nearly 70,000 ground squirrels, 50,682 red and gray foxes, 43,640 prairie dogs, 29,484 opossums, 25,000 marmots and woodchucks, 19,000 muskrats, 4,000 bears, 4,000 mountain lions, and three hundred and three thousand and sixty-six endangered gray wolves. Nearly all of these intentionally. So, Brooks, your film, Exposed. It's important. Tell us about it.
4: Well... It's a film that we actually came up with an idea about a year ago, and I've known for quite a few years. I've been working with former Wildlife Services agents and, and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Special Agents. And it came to a point, especially after Tom Newton and the Sacramento Beast uh, series of articles, that we thought we should do a film that basically put something into video where people could actually see and hear the stories firsthand and that's exactly what we did and we really we were very fortunate we were funded for this film through Patagonia first of all I want to mention them and uh we really produced it for members of congress we never thought it would be a film that would go viral but actually in the last 2 months we've gotten over 22,000 hits on it and so it's it's so far it exceeded what we thought it would uh the primary purpose for this, again, is for the American public to see firsthand what this agency does and hear from former agents exactly what happens in the field. Because for the most part, I I would guess to tell you that 99% of the public has no idea that this agency exists. So, again, that was the primary force for producing the film and to actually get members of Congress to see firsthand how our tax money is being spent on this Wateful so you,
3: you bring up a couple of really good, import, uh, important points. A, that 99% of the public isn't aware of this, despite headlines, news uh, articles in the L.A. Times, the New York Times, and the Sacramento Bee, and your films, of which you've put out several other videos before uh, exposed. You've been doing films for a long time, and now you've gotten this one produced. So... um, Hopefully by the end of this show, our audience will be a whole lot more aware of just how bad, out of control, and barbaric this agency is. So Brooks, I've got you on the the line, and uh, so let's get into some of this. You have so much experience dealing with this, so why don't, first question, why don't wildlife services methods of controlling predators work? Let's talk about their activities on public lands in regard to livestock and the killing of predators to produce more game species like deer and elk.
4: Well, I mean, first of all, that's a complex question, but I can answer it. Public lands, open range is a situation that that does not lend itself to any type of husbandry. Uh, There's no fencing. Oftentimes, you know, the general public has this kind of Marlboro Man image of cattle in these pastoral fields and blue skies, uh, when in reality, when you look at the American West, uh, you have a different plant community that is very, a very fragile community of plants and streams and rivers, and that it does not really lend itself to these exotic herbivores, like cows and sheep, deer and sheep. Uh, it's very hard to protect animals under those conditions. And so, what Wildlife Services does is they go out basically prophylactically and they'll go into a certain area with, say, for example, their aerial gunning program and they'll target coyotes and they'll kill as many coyotes in a given area as possible. They're not targeting uh, offending individuals that have preyed on livestock. They're basically just going out to kill a large number. Of, of specific species, uh, in this case, you know, we're talking about coyotes. Uh, again, the numbers are staggering when you, you look at the numbers that Wildlife Services puts out, uh, and many of us believe that those numbers are, are gravely underreported. That that the actual number of animals killed far exceeds what Wildlife Services is reporting.
3: So you're bringing some really astonishing information here, which is hard to wrap our minds around. We're on public lands, which means National Forest or Bureau of Land Management, which is supposedly also managed for the public with our tax dollars. This is our funding, and they're bringing cattle and sheep on public lands, which is a discussion maybe we'll have. Should uh, we be allowing cattle and sheep to graze on our public lands where... It is also wilderness, and for our carnivores. What do you? F- Let, let's go there for a second.
4: Oh well, I mean, there's a lot of different opinions on that. The, the our organization has a, a strong stance on that issue, and we feel that it is inappropriate for cattle and sheep to be on open range public lands. Uh, public lands ranching is another subsidy to an industry that is already heavily subsidized. Wildlife Services activities on open range—you know, going in and killing mountain lions, uh, coyotes, uh, animals like that—to protect livestock—is already that's a second subsidy to this, this industry. And so, historically, when you look at public lands ranching, open range ranching, ranching, it's the, the that community of ranchers has been able to basically externalize the cost of doing business for a very long time now by having the federal government come in, whether it be giving them, leasing land to them for pennies on the dollar, and then also on top of that, coming in and launching these lethal predator control programs where they're killing native species to protect an exotic species. Now, there's another interesting aspect. Wildlife services also contracts with state agencies. in, In the American West, many of the state agencies give millions of dollars to wildlife services to go out and kill coyotes, mountain lions, uh, foxes, bobcats, animals like this, wolves, of course, Uh, and that the idea behind it is that they are somehow enhancing uh, uh, or giving prey species like deer, elk, mule deer, pronghorn, antelope, uh, the opportunity to have larger numbers for, for hunters to kill. And so what I've always found interesting about that whole idea, the whole, the, the whole the premise behind that is that uh, the hunting community, let's face it, most wildlife management agencies are, in the way we look at it, really nothing more than glorified hunting clubs. Their constituency are hunters, and they're basically almost financed 100%. By hunters, and the great irony here for me is that that if, that the hunting community doesn't recognize that cattle and sheep are actually extremely detrimental, much more so than or I mean than predators are. Predators actually benefit prey species; they make them stronger. Uh, and but with with, with uh, cattle and sheep, what they do on open ranges, they remove cover. Say, for example, pronghorn antelope need cover to, and mule deer need cover to hide their baby fawns for the first few weeks of their lives. While well, cattle and sheep often denude areas to where that cover doesn't exist anymore. And then cattle and sheep also take away the, 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 the sedges, the grasses, the forbs, the, the nutrients that the mule deer, pronghorn antelope, elk need to survive and be healthy and thrive.
3: So we've received we've been getting a lot of um good research, good data, science based data between let's say Robert Besta and William Ripple and their studies with, with the reintroduction of wolves into Yellowstone and the 30 years prior, studying what happens to these landscapes, and that's a national park. It's a protected area. So in terms of wolves, we do like to see wildlife there and have these experiences. But what we're talking about is the rest of the public lands where we do recreate and where we would expect to see wildlife because we do consider it wild lands. And here, Brooke, you're telling us that Our um, public dollars and this uh, agency, Wildlife Services, is double-dipping in a way. They're federally sanctioned, they're federally subsidized, they're state-incentivized, and between the lobbying, uh, let's call it the the hunting lobbies and um, pressure that they can bring to bear, there is a lot of money going in to kill off our predators, which you just said is not helping our wildlife. Um, What happens, you you used a term to me earlier called mowing the lawn. Uh, What happens when wildlife services goes in, and let's say, as you said, aerial guns, hundreds of coyotes in one run. What happens? This, I guess where I'm trying to get to is how this gets unbalanced with poor management, poor uh, control of these predators. What ends up happening to these landscapes? When they've well, got too many cows, I mean, too many sheep, and not enough wildlife. What happens is you,
4: there, there's many different things that happen. What uh, We've learned with coyotes, actually, and this has been discovered through USDA's own funded research. But there's a phenomenon when, say, for example, you remove uh, uh, a lot of coyotes. Uh, there's several different things that happen. You have what's called immediate immigration. In other words, you can only kill so many coyotes within a given area, uh, and then the surrounding areas. Uh, basically, you have coyotes from those surrounding areas immigrate into the areas that have been where coyotes have been removed. The other thing that you have is what's called mesopredator release, where you have smaller animals, um, say foxes, uh, skunks, animals like that that populations boom. And in the West, we have, say, with, we have issues pertaining to endangered species say around the sage grouse. And what's been discovered through research is that those smaller predatory species have a much more severe impact on, say, the ground-nesting bird species than coyotes do. So again, there's a there's an equilibrium and in interaction between all these species and what wildlife services does is they take no attention to science much less their own science that 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 they have funded and if you look at the data you know for you know over 50 years uh it basically this is something that doesn't work we have more coyotes now than we had 100 years ago that's not just because of wildlife services. The landscape has also changed. Uh, in the east, you've removed uh, more specialized predators, uh, cougars, uh, um, wolves, and then you had this medium-sized opportunistic omnivore basically step in and also incredibly intelligent animal, step in and fill that void. So what we've learned through wildlife services activities of, of killing, 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 that it simply doesn't work, and that it's really an issue of husbandry. This isn't rocket science we're talking about. If you want to protect livestock, there are proven methods that have actually been out there for centuries, and one of them is is guard dogs. And they've been using guard dogs in Europe for over 500 years to protect their, their flocks against wolves. And yet, on the web, on wildlife services website they'll mention guard dogs and they've actually funded research for guard dogs but they don't implement it and actually in reality I, you know, I was talking to Carter who was on your show a few weeks ago and we were discussing this and it, it's ironic that wildlife services in the west really hates guard dogs because when they have guard dogs in specific areas if a rancher has a guard dog in, or a, more than one guard dog in a specific area then that means wildlife services can't put out snares, traps, M44s, devices like that, because then they'll jeopardize killing the guard dog, too. So there's, again, there's, there's many different layers and aspects. And, again, coyotes are a native species. They, they play a, an extremely important role. The other aspect, and, and I'm sure uh, uh, Robert Crabtree and Camilla Fox so from Project Project Coyote will probably be talking about this too, but when you go in and you destroy the pack structure, you've got to remember that coyotes are almost identical to wolves, except that they really don't need to cooperatively hunt to survive. They can hunt as individuals, but otherwise they're pack animals. There's an alpha male and an alpha female. And when you take one of those animals out or both of those animals out, you have subordinates within that pack. Uh, betas and omegas, uh, lower-ranking animals that are what's called behaviorally sterile. The alpha male and alpha female will not let them breed. So all of a sudden, you can have several animals within a pack that are now able to reproduce. And so that's essentially the, the phrase that's been coined is compensatory mortality. They're able to compensate. And typically, those animals are, are younger animals, and, and basically, they usually, because of their youth, have larger litters. And so it's just kind of a vicious cycle. And then when they, they, they they're exploited, when they're killed in an area heavily. And then you have the, the the surviving animals reproducing. With those larger litters, then they have to pull down those animals, the, the the alpha male and female, have to pull down more prey to be able to feed those hungry pups. So it's 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 really just a vicious cycle. And it's, it's, it's painfully obvious that killing coyotes simply doesn't work and that husbandry is the issue, but it really comes down to the fact of being able, you know, taking care of livestock is a lot of work. And well, you us... I'm sorry, go an ahead. This industry that has, again, typically, the, now I'm talking about the ranching industry, has externalized its costs by having the American taxpayer pick up its pick up its bill. And when you look at other businesses, if you're a general contractor or you're running a a laundromat or whatever, you're typically not having the government come in and, and pay for, you know, running your business. Yet the ranching industry has been very successful at this.
3: You've just given us a whole lot to think about. We're going to cut away to a short break. We're with Brooks Fay of Predator Defense. You can find uh, more out about what we've just been talking about. There's critical information on his website at predatordefense.org. And Brooks led us into some very interesting points that we're going to pick up right after the break. Stick with us.
2: Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G.
1: Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com
2: You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World.
3: Welcome back and we 're with Brooks Fay of Predator Defense unveiling and exposing the u s uh, secret war on wildlife and Brooks has been documenting uh, this process and what our USDA uh, Wildlife Services Agency for over thirty years. Brooks, before the break, you started getting into some very interesting information that we are grazing livestock on public lands, so that 's a question and a point. Of contention and controversy, right there in itself. But what we're doing, the way wildlife services that we are paying for, is killing our wildlife on these public lands. We're not going to get into private lands right now. Um, there's a culture of silence, or there has been, within this federal agency and its its, uh, its agents. Um, and it's uh, what I'd like to know is what kinds of poisons. I'm reading through your information. There's a lot of poison out there that I had understood that the public understands is banned that the wildlife services use. Can you tell us a little bit about these um, livestock protection collars and some of these explosive devices and the methods that wildlife services use to kill wildlife? It's it's barbaric.
4: Well <clears throat> the livestock protection collars, they're called LPCs, acronym is a device that is put on the necks of sheep in pasture areas. They're not allowed to be used in open range. They're actually limited use. They're, they only kill about 25 to 50 coyotes a year with these collars. And But the whole idea is that a coyote will come up and basically grab the sheep or lamb by the throat and that when it punctures the bladder with its canine teeth that the that the compound 1080 poison will leach into its gums and then have its effect. Uh, 1080 historically was used prior to 1972 by wildlife services in baits that they would disperse out of aircraft throughout the West, hundreds of thousands, millions of baits. And then they would also do what's called walk-ins, where uh, they would take a, a horse or a steer, walk it into an area, shoot it, and then inject this poison into it and then that, that carcass would become a bait station. And so in, uh, night, there, in 1971 there was a report came out that through the Cain Report, uh, to Congress that, uh, these poisons were, were too dangerous and that they shouldn't be used anymore. It was a port, report that was also very critical of, at that time it was called Animal Damage co- Control of the agency. And so, what happened is Nick, Richard Nixon basically banned the use of this poison. Uh, he banned the use of sodium cyanide, compound 1080, which is uh, sodium fluoroacetate, acetate, strychnine, all these different poisons for above-ground use. But uh, again, in the uh, mid-'80s, it's, there was research being done on these collars, and that it's, it's my feeling that there, there there's, a, there's still a large... A contingency of ranchers and people within Wildlife Services that would like to bring back the old good old days of, of dispersing baits out on the landscape, and uh, I mean we know this for a fact, and we've we, we've seen we've heard conversations. I've talked to in, individuals at Wildlife Services that have said this to me. It's my feeling that the livestock protection collars were a way of keeping the the poisons that Wildlife Services use our control are, are basically uh, have to be approved through EPA. I believe the collars were a way, the livestock protection collars were a way of keeping the registration uh, current on Compound 1080 to where they're still hopeful someday that they'll be able to use it in open baits. Because on the ground, there, there's so much restraint around the collars. There's so much mandatory record keeping, and it, it, it's important to remember that Compound 1080 is the deadliest poison on earth. There is no poison more toxic than sodium fluoracetate. One tablespoon can kill up to 100 people. There's no antidote to it. It's tasteless, it's water-soluble, and it's mind-boggling that, to think even now that it's being hung off the necks of sheep uh, to to basically, you're almost baiting in coyotes. They're creating situations where it, it, the whole premise of it is, is insane.
3: Well, there's also the collateral damage. I mean, you've just said this is one of the scariest chemicals we've ever created. It's been banned by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Right. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is the home agency of which Wildlife Services operates. So it has um, a backdoor was- into getting this. And now was, there's all the collateral damage. It was from this. There's
4: not, the, the, there's, I don't think there's a lot of collateral damage through the collars. The, the, the real collateral damage is through, and, and the real, the, the horrific device that many of our films have dealt with, including exposed, is what's called the M44, it's the sodium cyanide ejector. And what the M44 is, it's a stake Basically, that is driven into the ground, and then you there's a mechanism that you put inside this hollow tube, this stake. That's the ejector device itself, and it's a it's a spring activated device. And the top of it is wrapped with um, a tape like coban vet wrap tape, which is very uh, it's like a sponge. And then the trapper basically puts a, a lure scent, uh, uh, some very smelly substance that attracts wild canids, specifically coyotes, foxes, but They're primarily targeting coyotes with these devices. These are the most notorious uh, non-selective devices. These are the devices that kill basically everything that comes in contact with them. All any animal has to do is they go up to the device and just pull up on it a little bit. And within the center of it, there's a capsule. And that capsule is filled with sodium cyanide crystals. And then those crystals eject. The theory behind it is they're supposed to eject into the animal's mouth and then they turn into the noxious uh, gas, sodium cyanide gas. But in, in reality is that everything, we've had condors that have been killed, California condors by M44s, thousands and thousands of dogs have been killed, wolves, other endangered species, uh, many, many raptors, golden eagles, bald eagles, Uh, And, again, human beings have also been poisoned. Actually, 21 of uh, Wildlife Service's own staff has been poisoned with with M44s. We found this out through a Freedom of Information Act request. Yet they all survived. I think several of them had to retire. Wildlife Service's trappers, when they're using M44s, have carry a vial of amyl nitrate in their top shirt pocket so if they're exposed they crack that vial hold it under their nose and you know hopefully that will reverse the effect of the poison but what i like telling the general public these things are like landmines on the landscape and they can go unattended for long periods of time we've had individuals who uh whose dogs have been poisoned by them. And in the, uh, during the process of the dog dying, the individuals have tried to give their dogs mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and then suffered secondary poisoning. And then we had an individual, uh, Dennis Sla, who was out ATVing rock hunting on public lands, BLM land, and he found what he thought was a survey marker. And then he, he started playing with it a little and it ejected and hit him on the chest and he got some of it in his face. Well, after that event, Dennis was never able to go back to work. He's basically been handicapped ever since, been in and out of the hospital with severe health problems. And Wildlife Services on the side of the M44 was marked U.S. government, but Wildlife Services to this day denies that they ever said it. And, again, it just kind of points to the insanity, no matter who said it, we shouldn't be using these devices. They are so remarkably dangerous. And and ultimately, what are we trying to achieve? Uh, Something that we know has no long-term effect, killing coyotes. And so it's basically insanity. And it's hard to believe that the U.S. government is sponsoring
3: it. So you've just given us some really shocking, astonishing, uh, horrific, appalling information. Here we've got an agency that is using poisons, uh, for, uh, targeted and non targeted species and killing pets, which I understand predator defense is also a research, uh, resource for people who become victims of wildlife services. When we were talking before, you had said wildlife services doesn't take kindly to this and that they have a tendency to criminalize the victims. What, ha- uh, so, uh, you've talked a little bit about what happens when Wildlife Services kills someone's pet or injures somebody, um, and they they're not being held responsible or accountable. They just sort of shoot, shovel, and shut up, and and not report.
4: That's right. Well, so they're thing- not even
3: they're not even um, following their own legal guidelines.
4: No, they don't follow. They're required to, with the use of M44s, there's directives set out through the EPA. Uh, with M44s, there's six, 26 directives that they're, by law, federal law, that they are, it's mandated to follow. And yet they ignore them. And probably the, the thing that they ignore the most, <clears throat> and there's actually some ra- uh, interesting rationale behind this in speaking to wildlife services trappers, What they ignore the most is the posting of signs warning the general public that M44s are in an area. And that, of course, this is important because the public, you know, if you're out on public lands or whatever, and remember, these devices are out on public lands, BLM land, Forest Service land. You can look at an area and go, God, this is a beautiful place to take my dog for a hike. And there could be an M44 50 feet away from you. And you wouldn't know it. And, of course, again, dogs are drawn to scent. But in regards to what happens when dogs are killed with M44s, Wildlife Services never, rarely, 99% of the time, they will never acknowledge it. Uh, They often will come in quickly after the incident and try to quickly gather up the M44s that are in the area. And they'll basically... uh, They'll make no comment to the press. They never apologize to the victims. The the first big M44 case that we got involved in was in 1994 with uh, Amanda Wood Kingsley in Harrisburg, Oregon. And it, she was visiting her homestead, 200-acre ranch, just north of Eugene, Oregon. And... Uh, She was out there, it was a lovely day in in the fall, walking her dogs across this picturesque Willamette Valley field, and all of a sudden she sees her dog, Ruby, rolling in the grass violently. And she runs over to Ruby and, again, sees this device and puts two and two together and then tries to start resuscitating her dog. And as I've already told you what happened, the dog died. Amanda suffered secondary poisoning. So,
3: if our listeners, if you'd like to learn more and see more of this documentation, please do visit Predator Defense, uh, org, their website, and their YouTube channel. Um, as we had talked about earlier, Brooks has been documenting not only the uh, wildlife cases, uh, illegal wildlife cases, undocumented, that... Wildlife Services tries to cover up, but the um, the collateral damage between people and pets in Wildlife Services. Um, do definitely watch his film Exposed. Uh, it's available online at his website, and uh, please go visit that. Brooks, you've given us so much incredible information. We do need to head into another short break here. But what I hope our listeners are getting is how heavy-handed this agency is At our expense and at the expense of our iconic species, which many are not protected by the uh, Endangered Species Act our coyotes our foxes our bobcats um wolverines raccoons you name it all the the mesocarnivores these animals are not protected and they're being killed indiscriminately by wildlife services so stay with us we're going to take a short break come back we're with brooks faye faye of predator defense we'll be right back
2: W-I-L-D-I-Z-E
1: dot O-R-G Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com
2: You're listening to L.A. Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788 that's one 472 5788 If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world.
3: Welcome back. We're with Brooks Fay of Predator Defense, and we are talking about wildlife services and our own government's secret war on our very own wildlife. What we're learning is why this organization, this agency, is so secretive, that it's being funded not only by the federal, state, and private incentives and uh, subsidies, and we're also hearing about the brutal, abhorrent, and uh, cruel methods, inhumane methods that wildlife services is using. We're not uh, saying the fact that there is no such thing as problem animals or that there should never be animal control. Uh, That's a whole other conversation in terms of uh, the rights of individual animals and large landscape conservation. What we are focusing on here is a very poorly managed, out of control, rogue state agency, federal agency that is killing our wildlife. Um, Brooks, you've had a lot of experience with, uh, dealing with the fallout, the bystanders, the collateral damage of wildlife services methods. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that in terms of how it, uh, how it just blows everything out of proportion and its brutality and what you end up dealing with, with the people who are affected by uh, th- these killings the 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 I, I think you use the term it's almost like being post-traumatic, uh, suffering post-traumatic stress syndrome
4: yes that's right um, I mean we've dealt with dozens of victims of wildlife services and there have been cases where there's been outright intimidation uh, there was a case recently just a, a two years ago in Texas with a family where wildlife services within uh, a very short distance, uh, several hundred yards from their house, had set M44s basically all around their house and killed their, 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 uh, their pit bull, a dog that was a house dog that they loved. They have two kids. And that uh, we found through, uh, through working with these individuals, uh, and then after, after the documentation that they had basically, it almost seemed set out to, to, to actually kill their dog, there seemed to be some sort of feud going on between the person that leased the land and then, uh, and then the people that were renting the house and that what was interesting was that wildlife services, the trapper that had killed their dog, continued to put m forty fours out after they'd killed their dog to, to basically they were killing there were a bunch of uh, gray foxes that were killed but on the roadway approaching these uh, the individuals' homes, they hung dead coyotes along the fence line. So when these people would return home with their two kids in the car, the kids, the children, would have to see these dead coyotes hanging from the fence line. We had another case where a wildlife services trapper actually ran somebody off the road uh, to tell him how unhappy he was that they had reported him uh, to the media, but in dealing with these individuals on a case-by-case basis, again, they are um, so traumatized by the event that for many, many years afterwards, basically suffer from post-traumatic stress syndrome, that they're treated as criminals. What was your dog doing running loose? Uh, in some cases, Wildlife Services has actually reported these people to the state police for their dogs running at large, these types of things. And again, never an apology, never ex- Uh, accepting any responsibility whatsoever. And in in 100% of these cases, that these traps have been set illegally. They haven't followed EPA regulations.
3: So, you're telling us we really do have a rogue agency that is unethical doing illegal practices according to its own bylaws and guidelines, uh, criminalizes the victims, is not willing to be transparent, open. You've got uh, a congressman and a, a representative working with you to try and infiltrate wildlife services. And in your film Exposed, which once again I really urge our audience to to look at, several whistleblowers came forth to uh, ex-federal agents with wildlife services. What happens uh, to... An agent within Wildlife Services, when they start speaking up and saying, "You know, this this is not what I came on for. This is not my job." Yes, they're hunters. Yes, they're trappers. Yes, they're doing what they considered to be a legal uh, and needed uh, function. But what happens? You've got a lot of whistleblowers. What happens to them within these agencies?
4: When you start raising the voice of concern about guidelines not being followed and trap check times following directives for the use of the cyanide devices, uh, very, very quickly you are basically given your walking papers. And we've seen that over and over and over uh, with uh, Rex Shattuck's, who was in Expose, and Gary Strader. The moment they started questioning the activities that they were basically told to carry out, and that's just when their careers basically ended. Or it was situations where they were told, if you don't quit, we're going to fire you, or we're going to really make your life miserable. And what's been really interesting since this film has been released is I've, we've been contacted by five, it's five different wildlife services uh, trappers now, two former trappers and, and then three that are still working for the agency. And everyone, each one of them agrees with, they essentially have all said, everything you brought up in the film is true and worse. So it's it's remarkable. There, I think there are a lot of people out there that, that especially the old timers that have worked for this agency, that would like to see things change. But, you know, these are individuals that are supporting families uh, and that it's, it's It's they know if they step forward, they're going to get into trouble. Now, there's another component of this in the way Wildlife Services does business and the way they solicit business. uh, That you've got to remember that on a state by state level, they uh, approach counties. I'm getting some washback here on that. Uh, um,
3: we, we can still hear you. And so what you're covering is um, uh, the different ways that the Wildlife Service Agency uh, gets its work. Um, they're not only federally supported and incentivized, but they work with states. Um, how do they work with states to get this public and subsidized uh, funding to do their dirty work?
4: Wildlife Service's contract with uh, state wildlife management agencies to go out and basically kill predators to enhance prey populations. But then they also go out and meet with county commissioners in different counties to solicit work within those counties. Those so we have,
3: agency, we have a federal agency publicly funded soliciting work to kill our wildlife. That's right. what you're saying. And we have um, wildlife service agencies, current and prior, who are willing to go on record talking about this. So what has happened to wildlife services since... Uh, there's a lot of news in the headlines, and I believe that case that with the dog you were talking about was very uh, well publicized. I recall seeing it in headlines and uh, across different social medias. What response is happening, uh, or what response is Wildlife Services taking to all this flack?
4: Uh, it's very much a siege mentality. They just basically hunker down and try to protect the, uh, the trapper or whoever. Story that he's putting
3: out. So, how can we, as the public, American citizens who love our wildlife, because as you and I have talked before and what you said earlier, there really is no forum or venue here in the U.S. outside of the NGO or the national park for wildlife watchers, the wildlife lovers, to support living wildlife? So what can we as citizens do um, to either support Predator Defense and the work that you're doing? Of course, people can donate to your organization, and hopefully uh, we're, we're understanding what it is your organization does. Visit PredatorDefense.org. But what can we do to help Congress wake up to uh, this, this this killing that's going on, this out-of-control agency? How do we make it stop?
4: Well, The main thing the public can do is obviously contact their congressman and let them know about this agency, and obviously to support any type of legislation that will be you know potentially introduced in the months to come or in the future. And that again, directing them to our website and giving their representatives as much information as possible. the other there... thing they should let them know about are the methods that Wildlife Services uses. I think you wanted to ask a little bit about that too.
3: Yes, um, go for it.
4: Well, it's you know when we use the term a war on wildlife, we're, we're not kidding. I mean, their aerial gunning program is a, a perfect example of this. Uh, each year, Wildlife Services kills anywhere from thirty to thirty-five thousand coyotes from aircraft, from fixed-wing aircraft or helicopters. And then they also obviously use leg hold traps, neck stairs, M44s. And there's one other method that they use that is absolutely almost incomprehensible. It's called denning. It's where they go in and basically find the coyote den or the box and excavate the den, and pull out the pup, sometimes with grappling hooks, and then they proceed to break the pup's necks or just smash them with shovels. Again, this is funded with taxpayer dollars, and it's going on around. Or especially, obviously, with the denning, it's going on in the spring, and in April and May, June.
3: Okay, I understand, as a conservationist, and you do, and working in Africa, in terms of large lands- landscape, that we do have to manage wildlife. We've gotten to a point where there's so many people, wildlife has limited space, that it does require, I'm going to use quotes, management. But, what we need to understand is how this management takes place, and what 's happening with wildlife services. This is not management; this is not predation control this is not um, this is not humane and it 's not done sensitively. this is just out and out brutal practices outmoded and needs to be gone. There is a current petition uh, going around on Causes and Facebook that you can sign, our listeners, to ask uh, Congress to defund and reform wildlife services. You can support Predator Defense and their work in getting uh, congressmen and representatives on board to open up and crack the wildlife services nut. So we have just a couple minutes left, uh, Brooks. I have one final question for you. Do you think we should be killing predators at all in, in this country, our predators?
4: Uh, no, I don't. I really think uh, the, the, we have been fed a great deal of misinformation through the USDA and all through through state wildlife management agencies that we need to kill these animals. Otherwise, they'll just overpopulate. But when you look at the research, when you look at the ecology, when you look at the work People like Dr. Bob Crabtree are doing, it's, it really becomes painfully obvious that in many, many cases, in most cases, in killing these animals, it actually has the, the opposite effect, especially with coyotes. We create more coyotes. And then I really think that we have to figure out ways of coexisting that where we can live in concert with these animals. And in North America and the United States, what's really extraordinary about all the larger apex predators we have is that they really don't want any much to do with people, much less harm people. And so it's, I don't believe there should be hunting seasons on predators at all. Uh, what drives that mostly are state wildlife management agencies, again, trying to create more deer and elk so they can sell more tags to hunters. And I think it's just a vicious cycle. I think it's, it's scientifically, uh, unnecessary. We do not need to control these animals' populations. It's really the prey species that control the predator populations. And so uh, we're very much against the killing of predators for sport hunting, trophy hunting, for any reason other than specific cases where you have a specific individual animal that's causing a problem. In those cases, you know, we understand dealing on, uh, in situations like that on a case-by-case basis.
3: Well, Brooks, you know, this has been astonishing. I could talk with you all day, and I certainly hope we uh, continue this conversation off air, but I would love to have you back on air at another time as this moves forward and we hopefully uh, get our listeners to get involved all over the world whether you live here in the U.S. or elsewhere if you want to see our wildlife here in the U.S. then we have to stop killing it. So uh, what our listeners can do is ask Congress to reform and defund uh, wildlife services. We've heard about the brutal methods they use. Please visit PredatorDefense.org and uh, if you have questions or want more information Brooks is more than happy to or I am more than happy to provide you uh, more links, more uh, information of where this goes. Stay tuned to our uh, Facebook page, Predator Defense's Facebook page, and Twitter as we keep you apprised of the headlines of what's going on. So, uh, over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to stick with this subject. Brooks mentioned uh, Project Coyote with Camilla Fox and Dr. Robert Crabtree who are going to help us uh, uh, learn about this a bit more and why this, uh, wild life services is simply ineffective in the meantime we're out of time today brooks thank you so much for being here thank you and it was a, a lesson in uh, uh enlightenment and knowledge and i hope our listeners when they walk out into our wild world today think about what's going on and tune in next week thank you this is ellie weiss